All right. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I'm Kotz. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the teaching pastor here. And uh, we're celebrating Christmas today. And if you've been coming to church for a while, you'll know that Christmas is a day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Now, um, when I think about Christmas, now here's the weird thing. Like I mentioned earlier, my birthday is coming up next week. And so that means I've always gotten combo gifts. Combo gifts. And so sometimes my gifts are Christmas-themed, and sometimes they're birthday-themed. And I can't really sometimes tell the difference between the two. I'm used to getting combo gifts. Um, people have this misconception that if you have a combo gift, you get one big thing instead of two small things. No, you just get one small thing. That's <laughs> At least where, where I grew up, you only get one small thing. And um, there's been times when I've gotten gifts that were like, oh, this is great. This is exactly what I asked for. And for those of you who don't know, um, if you want something good for Christmas, you tell them what you want. Um, because if you don't, you end up with some weird gifts. Like one time, and this is like cliche, but I got um, a Christmas sweater. Now this is when I was like seven or eight years old. It was a, I remember it as a white sweater with green lines going through it. And uh, it had uh, little stitches of um, polar bears riding sleds wearing sweaters that looks like the sweater that was actually on it, uh, that it was on. And, um, and I realized, hey, this is kind of cool because I could wear it today, but then I realized for the other 364 days, I can't wear it. And so I don't know why Christmas gifts... Uh, anyways, so the question I have for you is this. Uh, have you ever received a gift for Christmas that you didn't want or didn't ask for? And, you know, like in the video we saw, like, some people get coal, I guess. Some parents do that. My parents didn't do that to me. But, uh, and so when I think about... Christmas, and a lot of pastors just say, like, hey, remember the reason for the season? Remember that it's about Jesus, the birth of Jesus. Well, let's try to combine the two, okay? If you show up to Jesus' birthday, because that's what Christmas is representing, if you show up to Jesus' birthday, what would you bring to that party? What do you give the King of Kings? Who do you, what do you give to the Savior of the world? What do you give to that person? Like, who, 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 like, you see baby Jesus in front of you, what do you give to him? Now, growing up, there's some Christmas songs that I really liked. There's one song that I really liked, but over time I started to like it less and less, and that's The Little Drummer Boy. And the reason why I start to, I like it because I like the sound of a snare, you know, snare jump, ba da da ba da da right? But the thing is, after having my own baby, you don't want anybody playing drums around your baby, you know? Like, oh, he finally fell asleep. Shh, ba da da Like, this kid, whoever brought the, dr- the drums to, to baby Jesus, doesn't know what it feels like to be a parent of a newborn. If you, Amen? Yeah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but, you know, when I got that sweater and I was showing it, you know, I was like kind of, you know, I, as a kid you don't have filters, right? So I look at it and say, oh, I don't think, I, what is this? My parents always reminded me this, that it's the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts. And at that point, being naive as I was, the follow-up question was, well, w- what were you thinking? <laughs> right? Like, were you thinking like, oh, Kotz is going to love this. Like, he's going to be the coolest kid on, on the block if he wears this. You know, it's going to be good for his reputation. Here you go. Merry Christmas, right? And so this is a question I want to ask today is when somebody brought a gift to Jesus, what was on their mind? What were they thinking, right? So what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at this. There's, two, there's four biographies of Jesus. We call them the Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Two of them tells you the narrative of the birth of Jesus, okay? And so we're going to be looking at one of them, which is the book of Matthew. And we're going to pick up this story from the part where Jesus is already born. So we're starting the story already, like, after he's born. Okay, and there's a king named Herod who doesn't like the fact that this baby was born. But far, far away, we don't know exactly where, we think somewhere from the Persian Empire, like that area, 
although the Persian Empire was disbanded by the time that Jesus was born, but somewhere around that area, there's a bunch of people we like to call wise men or kings, depending on your tradition, but the Bible says magi, and, and they see this, this, this star, and it's, it, from what we understand from the scriptures, they saw a star rise far, far away, so they started heading in that direction, and by the time they got there, they weren't sure exactly what the star was shining over, so they needed to stop and look for, ask for directions. So this is how the stories uh, were starting off today, from verse 9 in chapter 2. After the magi had heard the king, so, you know, talked to King Herod, that was the king at the time, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went, uh, uh, rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So they're like, hey, we're looking for this new king that's born. I'm going to stop by and talk to the actual king who's ruling over Israel at the time, to say, hey, uh, we're just wondering, can you give us directions to the actual king? And imagine how Herod felt, right? He's like, ah, this is, oh yeah, so he didn't feel good about it. And then after he asked and he asked for directions, they went and they saw the star over a specific house. They went over there and they saw the baby Jesus. Now, by the time they got there, scholars think that it was not around the time he was born, like he was probably a child by then. It took him that long to find this baby or this child. Okay, and so by then, they're no longer in a manger or in a cave somewhere else. They're actually at a house. Okay, so um, coming to that house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and I'm sure Joseph was there somewhere, but he's not mentioned, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Is that what you would bring to somebody's birthday party? <laughs> I mean, if you were rich, that is, because these things today will cost close to $4 million. It, I looked it up. It's like, cost about what they brought. So I want to talk about these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I know, when I was typing out myrrh, I'm like, I've never seen so many consonants in a row <laughs> and actually be a word. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so the question I want to ask is this, what were the Magi thinking I mean, like, do you think Mary and Joseph were like, yes, this is exactly what was on our baby shower list. I'm so glad you brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Like, what were they thinking? A babysitter would have been nice, right? You know, at least they didn't bring a drummer boy. But still, like, they're like, why did, okay, now, here's the thing. When somebody gives you a gift, they're giving you this gift because they were thinking about you in some capacity. In other words, when somebody gives you a gift, it reveals more of what they think of you then it reflects who you really are. Are you guys following here? If I thought of you like as a person who likes Star Wars, I'm probably going to get you a Star Wars-related thing. And when you get the gift, you're going to be like, oh, Cost thinks that I like Star Wars, but I don't. You know, right? Like, right? But it reveals the gifter, like what they think, what they believe about you. So the question here is, what were the Magi thinking? What was on their mind? What did they believe about this baby? So we're going to look at each of these gifts, okay? And we're going to be looking at not too much in depth. We're just going to be looking at it so you get an idea of what these magi thought about, these, the, about this baby Jesus. Now, before I go on, uh, if, in case you're wondering what a magi is, um, there's some speculation as to who, who magis are, uh, were. Uh, first of all, um, tradition tells us there's three, but there's nothing in the Bible that says there's only three of them. They brought three gifts, but chances are there was probably a lot more people because these are important people, so they had their own posse following them around. Okay, uh, but magis are people who are like, they think they were astronomers, they, people who, you know, were scholars, who looked at the stars, you know, but whatever it is, they're not from around um, where Jesus was born. That's the main point here, okay? So let's look at these three gifts that these people, foreigners, 
brought to Jesus and what it tells you about what these people believed about baby Jesus. So first, let's look at gold. Gold is a gift for a king. In today's world, we would probably say, like, gold is something that's only given to people who are either kings or somewhere around that social ladder, at that place in the social ladder. In other words, it's like bringing a crown. So imagine a baby is born, and you bring gold or a crown and say, here you go. Immediately, your response would be, oh, but uh, yeah, I'm not a king. Sorry, I'm not a king. Why? Well, because there's another king on the throne. As a matter of fact, the king that's on the throne is King Herod, and he's kind of a corrupt king. And so, uh, yeah, this is not for us. So basically, the gold is a gift for a king, but the problem is that those corrupt kings are already on the throne. Jesus is like, you know, like, wah, wah, baby, like little, little baby, right? Born in a manger, not too rich. Family is like probably middle class to maybe lower middle class, right? And they bring this gold, this thing that represents a king, and the parents are probably like, yeah, there's already a king on the throne. This is, this, you're probably mistaken. As a matter of fact, when you stopped at Herod's place, you probably should have dropped it off there, not here. And then the magi would be like, no, no, we haven't mistaken. This belongs to this baby, but, but King Herod is on the throne. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, above King Herod, there's a Caesar on the throne. He just loves gold, you know, and it's like, this doesn't belong to us. This belongs to them. And then they'll say, no, no, no. This gold is for the baby because we know for a fact that this baby is the king. And they're like, okay, sure. Okay, let's open the next one. They open it up and they find frankincense. Frankincense is a gift for a priest. Now, who, who is a priest? Who is a Jewish priest? Because it's a Jewish context. What, is, what does a Jewish priest do? In those days, if you wanted to connect with God, there was a mediator between God and humanity, okay, called the priest. So if you did something wrong, you have guilt and you have shame, and you're like, okay, I have sinned. I need to do something to atone for my sins. What you would do is you would bring an offering to the priest. The priest would take that offering, put it on an altar, burn it, do a prayer, do a little ritual, and as the smoke rises to the heavens, the, the priest would say, okay, now your sins are forgiven. And so the priest was the middle person between humanity and God, to which these, Mary and Joseph is looking at, at the frankincense and saying like, um, yeah, you know, we already have a priest in the temple, but the, but the priest that we have at the temple right now is Annas and, uh, and Caiaphas. Those two are a little corrupt. In other words, there's corrupt priests were already in the temple, are you sure this gift is for us? I mean, that gold belongs to the king who's on the throne right now. This, this frankincense belongs to the priests that are at the temple right now. And they're like, no, 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 we haven't made a mistake. This gold belongs to you because we believe you are the king. This frankincense belongs to you because we believe that not only that, he is going to be the mediator, the true mediator between God the Father and the humanity. Like, oh, Okay. All right, okay, well, let's open the third gift. They open it up, and there's like myrrh. It's like, uh-oh, and this is offensive because myrrh is a gift for the dead. This is something that's used during the funeral process. And Mary's like, wait a minute. Um, this is Jesus' birthday, not a funeral. <laughs> this is highly offensive. Why did you bring this to us? And the Magi would say, well, this is what we believe about this baby. We believe that he is the true king. We believe that he is the true priest. And we also believe that he is the one that's going to overcome death. So what were the Magi thinking? This is what they were thinking. Gold. Jesus is the king over all kings. Yeah, there's a guy, there's a dude that's on the throne right now. But here's Jesus who's the king of kings. 
And then it's like, well, frankincense, what does that mean? They believe that Jesus is the priest over all priests. Yeah, there are some people who might be working at the temple that are like mediators between, you know, they're in the middle between God and humanity. But the one that's going to give you direct access, access to God, this character, the Jesus, he is the true priest over all priests. And the myrrh, what is the myrrh? What do they believe? That Jesus is the one that will overcome death. In other words, they believe that the Magi's knew, okay, that Jesus was king over everything. Everything you ever thought you needed to connect with God, anything you, everything you ever needed to know about how to navigate your life through, you know, through whatever people are in charge of you. He's like, Jesus is the king over all things. He's the Lord of Lord, Lord of all. Now the question is this, why didn't, how did these guys know that? How did the Magi's know that? As a matter of fact, here's an even better question. How come the people who are local to the area didn't know that? It's not like the Magi's arrived and there's this long line and they're just waiting for their turn to get to, get to the crypt. That wasn't the story. The story is they showed up and there they were and there was nobody else there except for Mary and Jesus and the Magi. So why didn't the locals know about this and how did the people from far, far away know about this? Well, to put, give you context, I want to show you a map. Okay, so up there is the Mediterranean Sea, okay? This story takes place in Israel, which is right there. Next slide. Right there. Okay, that's where Israel is. This is where the whole story takes place. Now, these people had prophets who told people that this is going to eventually happen. Okay? And not only that, these prophets wrote books that ended up in the scriptures that they studied every single day. So they had no excuse. This is one of the scriptures from Numbers 24. It says, I see him, but not now. He's talking about this guy that's going to come eventually, Jesus, right? He's like, I see him. I could visualize him, but he's not here right now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. That's code for Israel, right? A scepter will rise out of Israel. The king of kings is going to come out of Israel. Oh, there it is. So they had passages in the Bible to let people know, like, keep your eyes open. He's going to show up one day. So... Okay, so looking at the map again, that happened over there in Israel. These guys, the Magi's, they came from probably over here. We don't know exactly, but this is where people think they came from. So how did these, these guys know? So far, far away, how did they know? Right? How did the travelers know, but the locals missed the newborn king? <laughs> well, it's, as it turns out, it's not a matter of missing the newborn king. It turns out King Herod knew about this. As it turns out, there's something else at play here. And the hint to that happens a few verses before what we just read. This is from chapter 2, verse 7 through 8. Then Herod, that's the king, called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. You see, so Herod knew about this. And he even said, Magi, once you find him, report back to me so I could go and join you in your worship service, right? That's what he's saying here. And then a few verses later, an angel shows up and reveals to Joseph what actually happened. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child, that's Jesus, and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. You see, some people actually knew about the arrival of Jesus, but they chose to suppress that instead. You see, th this, is, this is why. Because right here, right now in this story, right, there is already a king. That's King Herod. 
And when the Magi show up saying, hey, we're looking for the true king, guess who's feeling threatened for their job, right? This guy's like, uh-oh, my days are numbered. Uh, what should I do, right? If, okay, it doesn't say this in the Bible, so let's just pretend, okay? If the Magi's next stop, looking for, asking for directions, stopped at the temple, knocked on the door in the middle of the night and says, oh, great priest, uh, we're looking for the true priest. Can you give us directions how to get there? Do you think they're going to be offended by this? Yes, right? I mean, let's just say, just for sermon's sake, they, they, they knock on the doors of where the devil is and says, hey, devil, uh, we're looking for the one that's going to overcome death. Can you give us directions? I mean, do you, who's going to be offended by this, right? So this is what's happening here. These people knew about it, but they would rather have a world without Jesus than a world with him. When Jesus comes into this world, when light enters this world, people are going to be offended by it. And you're like, well, isn't it good that light is entering to a dark world? Isn't that a good thing? And I would say, yeah, it's a really good thing. But it's not always good because sometimes it gets in the way of our agenda. Another biography of Jesus, written by a guy named John, he summarizes it this way. He's like, this is the verdict. He's like, here's the bottom line of what happened here. He says this, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Light is a good thing in concept, right? If you, was, if you were to say, hey, light's going to come into the darkness, you're like, that's great. You know, like, bring it on. So the news of Jesus came to conquer darkness, that's good news. But here's the bad news that goes with the good news. As it turns out, we all have darkness within us, right? I mean, Jesus came to shed light on things that are dark in our lives, and you're like, that's good for them, but, you know, I think you should shed light on that person and that person and, you know, that person and that person. But when it comes to me, you know, just give me a dim light because I don't want to be exposed, you know, in a certain way. Jesus shines light on us, right? And when that happens, we turn our backs on him because we don't want that light to expose who we really are. This is why the locals didn't know about the arrival of baby Jesus. It's because there are people who wanted to suppress that light because Light in the world means that you have to change the way you live. You have to change your lifestyle. You might lose your job, you know, all those things. Christmas, in other words, okay, requires a lot of guts. I mean, imagine King Herod. He's sitting on the throne, and he hears about this king of kings, the one that's going to rule the world. It takes a lot of guts for Herod to say, the true king? Oh, in that case, well, maybe I should step off the throne and let the baby Jesus take the throne. Like, it takes a lot of guts to admit that you're no longer the most powerful person in the world. It takes a lot of guts for a a priest to say, I was making my living off of this. I was the one that, that I got paid a lot to make sure that people brought their offerings here. And you're telling me that this Jesus character, he's going to take over my job? It takes a lot of guts to say, you know what? Maybe it's more important to make sure that the world has free access to God than them having to come to me to meet with them. I, I'm willing to step aside. It takes a lot of guts to do that. And so John continues in verse 20. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. You know, when we think about Christmas, we don't really think about guts, right? <laughs> Merry Christmas, you know, <laughs> right? You don't, you don't really think about that because Christmas is a celebration of the newborn king, but also Christmas is a season of courage because light is coming into this world 
And when heaven crashes into earth, all of a sudden, there's things you have to deal with. When the Lord of all things comes into this world and you realize all things includes you, you're like, okay, that means I can't live my life the way I always did because I have to live according to the way that the King of Kings is telling me to live my life now. So courage. Christmas is a reminder of courage. And I know we don't, we don't put that on our Christmas cards. Like, you don't see people wearing sw- sweaters on Christmas saying courage because we think it's like about singing songs and, you know, ch- hot chocolate, you know, whatever it is, right? But in, in the Matthew version of the story, the lack of courage from these kings and priests was the reason why the birth of Jesus was suppressed. Many, many children were killed in Bethlehem. And so this Christmas, we need to have the courage to confront the darkness that's in us. What does this mean? Is there somebody that you have to forgive? There's that darkness inside of you. Somebody's been saying, I'm sorry for wronging you. And it felt kind of good not to forgive them because now they owe you something. Maybe this Christmas is is the season where you have the courage to say, I forgive you. You don't owe me anything. Or maybe you're on the other side. You knew you wronged somebody and there's that darkness inside of you. I need to deal with this darkness. So what do you do? Have the courage to step out and say, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? Or maybe it's just admitting something. I was wrong. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Maybe this Christmas is the, Christ- the, is the year where you call somebody up and say, hey, I haven't talked to you in a while, and the truth is, I've been avoiding you. That takes a lot of courage. Or you could take it a step beyond that. This Christmas may be maybe the year that you invite somebody to your family dinner. I know it's going to be awkward this Christmas, but I need to confront the darkness in my heart. And I have to admit to you, I've been avoiding you, so I, I want to invite you into my home. Let's have dinner together. Or maybe that's going too far. Let's just get Starbucks. You know, let's just you know, spend a few, few minutes together. But that's a good start. That's the beginnings of you confronting the darkness in, our, in your heart. So this Christmas, let's think about courage. Let's think about when heaven crashes into earth, what are some of the darknesses that kind of rises to the top that you have to deal with? For the first time, maybe this is the year where you have to actually face the darkness in your life and you might be scared of, scared of it. But you don't want to go through this year and the end of the year is right around the corner. You don't want to end this year with darkness in your heart. You want to deal with it. And that's the invitation that Jesus has for us this Christmas. So what's the darkness in your life? Because if you keep that darkness in your life, you just might miss Jesus during this Christmas season. Amen? All right, let's pray.